0: Okay, so I'm going to start off tonight with just a very general principle of teaching literally anything. Um, have you ever, um, in, well, let's start here. In order to teach something, you have to uh, be somewhat more advanced than the people you are attempting to teach, right? In academic settings, if you are teaching a bachelor's level, you have to have at least what level of education? Anyone Master's. Know? Master's, and if you are teaching a doctoral program, you have to have at least... PhD at least a doctoral, a clinical doctor or a terminal degree of some sort, PhD, Doctor of Ed, uh, Doctor of Health Science, whatever case may be. Um, however, have you, uh, for those of you who are more academic in this room, have you ever been in a class situation in which you were pretty confident that you knew the subject matter or at least something about how the universe worked mm-hmm. better than the professor that you had? How did that feel? How did that, how did that go? What was that like? Poorly. Poorly. Yeah. What What made it what was frustrating about it for those of you that have experienced it? It's one of my classes right now. Like
1: I'm learning to become a teacher, and then my professor is supposed to be teaching us, and she just stands there and does
0: nothing. Yes. Um, even I think that's become even more common after COVID, unfortunately, with online stuff. But so tonight in Colossians, we are starting around verse uh, verse twelve, and so if Um, If this is the case, what we've just talked about, then this is sort of the place where I stop teaching Colossians and start reporting on Colossians. Um, This is the beginning of the ethical list, right, of things that we put on as Christians. And while I do see some of these qualities in myself in some measure, um, it would require that I would be more advanced in them to teach you how to live them, right? To to actually be able to instruct you on how to do these things, it would require that I'm you know, one step ahead of you. Um, if you were in Fosantos, then, or our, youth, our old youth group, you remember that illustration where Mike gave, where you just have to be one step ahead in order to lead somebody. Yeah, I just said half a step. Half a step. And in some areas, I, I hope that I am, but I trust that in other areas, you guys have much to teach, right? You guys are more advanced in certain areas than I'm going to be. And, and that's fine. The, the real teacher from here on out is going to be people's lives, right? Like, you can look at these, these are just words on a page, okay? And, and that's, they're inspired words, they're important words, but when it comes right down to it, they're just words. You have to look at people's lives, right? Like Lexi's life, Nathan's life, Josh's life, Danny's life, Chloe's life, they all bear certain qualities that they excel in, and uh, not to exclude anyone, by the way, but, but they, they each have some sort of quality that they excel in more than I do. And that's fine. There are other people in this room who are going to be better at something spiritually than you are. And so as we go through this, the reason that I've structured it in such a way is to give you guys an opportunity to sort of teach back, if you will, is I feel that there are naturally going to be things that I'm horrible at, right? And we all have those things, and I hope that I'm not the only one but you guys are going to be good at some of them. And that's, that's what we're here for, right? Where we're, we're one of us is weak, the others pick up the slack and hopefully we can get through like that and instruct one another and encourage one another. And so that's the way I want to view this is that, yes, I'm going to bring stuff out of this. I'll hopefully give you some sort of in, insight, but there's only so much, right? These are just words with classic definitions that we're all familiar with. Where the real challenge comes is cool, I know what that word means, how do I apply it and how do I experience it? And so that's what I'm hoping that you guys can sort of provide as we go through tonight. So um, you guys, I'm gonna need your help in some of these areas. Um, And I have to say, this is probably where I struggle the most is attempting to live out the qualities verse 12 puts for us there in front of unbelievers, right? I I wish that I were the most magnetizing, inviting, welcoming, cheery, nice person ever, but honestly, there are some, <laughs> it seems like there are some unbelievers, or at least not really Christians, who magnetize people better and are more like, man, I wish I were like that than than even I am. And that's that shouldn't be that way, right? Like, as Christians, we should be the most we should be the most light that is in our social space. And, and often, I, you know, I'm not that way. And so, um, so this, is, this is an area in which I have plenty of area to grow. So I, I hope that you guys contribute um, throughout, throughout this. So let's start out in verse 12. I'm gonna go ahead and read verse 12, Colossians chapter three as we move our way through the book of Colossians. Verse 12, put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So, um, it's actually an incredibly simple list. Remember with me now, a couple couple of weeks back, Paul has chosen a sort of a wardrobe illustration as he's going through. Things to put off and things to put on, a very clothing illustration. Um, We have those two five-part lists. Um, a few few weeks back. any takeaways out of that for you as you look back just as by way of review what are some things that you learned out of um, I think it's uh, yes it's verse eight verse um, verse eight and onward yes. what are some things that you took away from those uh, put off lists that Paul gave us? give me a chance to read it. Anyone remember what, what uh, outline I put up on the board? What shape? Why did I put that shape up on the board? It
1: was like from the heart, what was reflecting
2: out and then what outward was meaning
0: it. Perfect, yes, that's exactly what I wanted you to catch. So once we, once we saw that, these are the things that we're putting off. Let me welcome Hayden to this call. <laughs> Hi Hayden. Hello, my friend. Hi. Can you hear us all right? Okay, sweet. Um, so, yes, we've we've had these things that we're putting off. So now it's time to put some new clothes on, right? This is the, the word picture that uh, Paul has chosen to use here. And so what are the first words in here? So we have um, put on then, and then we get into why are we putting on these new clothes? Why are we putting these on? Look at the next phrase with me. Because we are God's chosen people, holy and beloved, that's the phrase. So, the doctrine of God's sovereign election of individuals for salvation finds its way into the beginning of this verse. Um, and, and you'd really have to stand on your head, you know, on a Tuesday to, to see it any other way. This is, this is God's way of saying that we, he has chosen people, but what are the other two qualities? It says that they are holy and beloved. Look over, uh, somebody has it actually, Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. What three qualities do you see in this that are the same here? Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. I want you to pick out a triad um, from these verses.
3: Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will,
1: to the praise of his glorious grace, with, with which he has blessed us in the beloved.
0: What are three, what are those three things that we see in Colossians and Ephesians, and then I'll take you to the Old Testament to show you where else, the other triad. What are those three important elements as to why we should put something new on? It's in Colossians and Ephesians. Chosen. Chosen, you've been chosen by God. God has chosen you for a specific purpose. Second. Holy. Holy, set apart to something, yes. And three. Loved. Beloved, absolutely beloved in ephesians and beloved here in colossians acts 13 48 so god chooses he makes holy and he does it out of love but here here's what's so beautiful and this kind of combines the ephesians and the colossians text acts 13 48 this is something about god's choosing of people
1: when the gentiles heard this they were glad and honored the word of the lord and all who were appointed for
0: as many as were appointed to eternal life believe. That is to say, and the the amazing part about that, not only that God appointed some to eternal life, but they were Gentiles, right? And for the letter to the Ephesians, particularly, Paul's building this case up where we don't have Jews and we don't have Gentiles. It, it's one now, and that's that unity that we talked about last week. There's this unity in Christ. Um, there is not, there is neither Greek nor Jew, barbarian nor Scythian. There is no distinction to be found in Christ, but that little triad, right? The chosen, treasured, or beloved, and then holy. That is something which was, in the Old Testament, used to describe what group of people? Think broad here. Israel. Israel. And so when Paul is describing Gentiles as chosen, holy, and beloved, he's really making a big statement off of what he has just said. There's neither Greek nor Jew, da-da-da-da-da. And then he says, What was, what you couldn't access before, what was reserved for the chosen people, God's chosen people of Israel, is now accessible to all people because of Christ. Um, Deuteronomy 14.2. Listen for this triad again. Chosen, holy, treasured. Deuteronomy 14.2.
3: For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession, one of all the peoples who, uh, one of all the peoples who are on the face of the
0: earth. So he had chosen this whole ethnic national group, but then it turns out not all of them are spiritual children of Abraham. And that's what Paul says in Romans: is that you know, not and Jesus as well, not all who have physically descended from Abraham are spiritual children of Abraham. And so in the New Testament we see this shift, where God is drawing to Himself people who are worshiping Him from the heart. Right? This is He is raising up a spiritual Israel. Some Reform people like to throw that term around. I'm not a big fan of it for some. Other reasons, which you can ask me at some other time, but there is a sense in which God is creating a new people which is chosen, holy, and beloved. So very similar to what God did in the Old Testament, he's doing here. So this is, think about it like this, though. You're just minding your own business, not wanting to have a relationship with God, right? And then God comes and chooses you. He, he sets his love on you for a specific purpose, and then he pulls you out, making you holy, setting you apart. So all the stuff that you wanted to do, all the goals and aspirations and you know, drive for sex, money, power, you know, all these, all these common human things, God's setting you apart for a new purpose. Now why is he giving you a purpose to your life? Is it because he hates you and wants you to look really weird to everybody? No, it's because he he loves you, right? It turns out all these things that humans just strive for on a daily basis are not things that actually end up really satisfying or providing much purpose to our life, right? This is this is where God, because he loves us, gives us a new set of purpose. He chooses that holiness is his purpose for us, setting us apart to be his light bearers in the world. And then for what purpose? Because he loves us. That's, that's really the fundamental reason why, I mean, you and I sat at a, at Emily's house for about an hour, just kicking that question around, why? And we got nowhere except the fact that he chose to love us for some reason. And, and that's what's astounding about it. But what did he call us to? When he says, holy, set apart, blah, 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 all those you know, words, that, what does that actually look like? What does that mean? That's what those five ethical qualities, that's what Paul's setting the stage for. Is Okay, God's chosen you, he's loved you, he set you apart to something, now what does that even look like? Okay, We've, we've talked about what it doesn't look like, and as a church we tend to be really good at what it doesn't. We are famous for what we don't do, and, you know, I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this. But what are you doing, right? I mean, are you doing anything that remotely resembles Christ? Uh, I mean, when you think of Christ, you don't necessarily think of what Christ didn't do, right? You don't think, wow, Christ, he, he didn't do that. You think of what he did and how he related to people and how he cared for people. that's what Paul's going to hit on is now the positive aspects of what we're gaining when we come to Christ. So those five things. First, um, what do you have there? What's the first one in the list? Compassion. Compassion. Now, I think it was early chapter two, we talked about the word splankna. Anyone remember that word? What is splankna? I'm choosing the anatomical word for a reason. What What is splankna? Somebody give me something. Yep, splanchnic arteries, which um, if you were, if you had a KJV and you wanted to translate it, how would you translate it? Bowels. Bowels, right? The bowels of mercy. Mm-hmm. Because, why? Why, uh, I've taught this once, you guys got this. Why would, <laughs> once is clearly not enough, but um, But okay, why, why is that the phrase that's used? To a Hebrew, why would you use a physical phrase instead of an idea?
2: Do you want to give it to somebody else if they know it? I'll go you got it okay so for easterners and especially from biblical times they whereas western culture we like to say we're pouring our heart out to somebody we're wearing a heart on a sleeve and we refer to our heart as the part of us that has like the feelings and stuff for them it was the bowels that's what really was the emotion that was the drive that was where it can just be poured out they poured out their bowels to somebody they poured out their heart to somebody that's what those words
0: meant Absolutely, and so this is the exact, this is the exact picture here, is, right? and this is the reason, is that Hebrew culture tends to think more in how you feel something physically, and Greek culture tends to think more cognitively, idealistically. And so when it says the bowels of mercy or, or compassion, what it means is basically you see, um, I'll make sure that I get this right, um, you see somebody that's in a difficult spot, they've experienced some sort of misfortune, and you feel it, you're you're stirred because you pity them and you care about them and your you you have your heart as we would call it is just moved and it really goes out to them in that difficult situation. That's the first quality that Paul says defines what it, what Christ had. Um, Matthew 14:13 through 14. This is when I think of Christ's compassion. This is the this is the verse that I think of most often and it, it's sort of a um, sort of a just one of those things that slid in there and tucked in there. But for me, this is the one that I turn to because um, how many of you have experienced something where somebody wants to talk to you or somebody needs something and you're walking away, you're trying to leave and they say, hey, hey, Sam. And you're like, oh, Uh, shut up. Um, But you know that they really need you. And so you take a deep breath before you turn around. And by the time you've turned around, you're smiling, not faking, but you just genuinely like, Okay, I need to be present in this moment. They actually need me. I need to be here, even if I am tired, even if, you know, whatever, I don't really care. I've got to put whatever's happening in my personal life aside. They need me. Matthew fourteen thirteen through 14 are the words that flow through my mind in that moment. This is a Christ example of compassion. Matthew 14.
2: When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately, privately to solitary place. Doing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus had landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their
0: sick. Yeah, another another translation, the one that to your mind, is he turned and had compassion on them. He's, you know, just word picture here. He's getting off a boat. He's trying to go get his week, weekend getaway, right? And um, then he sees a whole bunch of people on the other side of the lake. And if you've been to Israel, you know that you can see right from one side of the bank to the other. So you just walk around, and then you catch him on the other side. And Jesus was like, they really need me. Okay, so that's, that's that. So um, now here, here's how I want tonight to go. Um, I said at the outset that some of you are gonna be better able to, you know, to teach this content than I'm going to be able to, and I trust that you have more experiences and um, things that you've seen and experienced. And so what I want to do is that each of these things, and we'll start with this one, compassion, is I want you, somebody to relay some time that you've experienced it Right? Some, somebody's moved you, somebody's really impacted you with the time that you've been in a situation like a situation and it's been tough and you've had things not going well and somebody took pity on you that you had compassion on you and then I want somebody to share one way in which you think is a practical way that everyone could could work to have compassion on other people consistently so I open the floor to you and I hope that we Hope that we do have something um, to start what is some time that somebody has shown compassion on you when you've been not at your best you know at a low point and they've they've actually genuinely had pity on you and cared for you we'll have plenty of these throughout the night so um, anything that jumps to mind
1: I should have. kitchen and I was putting like, like cleaner together, like spray cleaner for the counters and my I just started breaking down crying like in the Lysol. <laughs> <laughs> and my boss walks back and he's like, are you okay? <laughs> and I like explained the situation and he like, I felt like a terrible worker at that point and I was like, I can't even keep it together like at my job, like I should be able to separate this. And he was like, no, like it's hard when you go through that sort of thing because it's like, it's like as bad as, or it's the second worst pain you can experience from like somebody literally dying because they're separated from your life very suddenly. And so like instead of being really harsh and like, I know that like you're having personal issues but you have to like show up for work and whatever, you like found somebody to cover my shift and then like let me
0: go home. That's awesome, and how did that make you feel?
1: Like very cared for and like seen and
0: like comforted fantastic thank you for sharing one practical way in which we can do stuff like that for people What is um, yeah? Um, I think I found the biggest thing that a lot
3: of people is just listening because mm-hmm. a lot of times especially with my ADHD I'm like oh I can relate to you so I'll tell you the story about the thing I went through and so this way you know I relate to you and you know I understand but that's not what they want to hear a lot of the time it's because it's bringing it back to you just sitting there quietly and letting them get all the things they need out can be really therapeutic for them and let them deep breath. And then after that, like, make the decision and scope it out a little bit, whether or not they're asking for help or whether or not they just needed somebody to listen and be there. And oftentimes he's just praying. It's like, hey, God, which one do they need? I'm not sure. But listening is one of the biggest things that i found that people need a lot of the time
0: for our minority group of men tonight we we tend to, we tend to be fixers right that's the thing that we stereotypically i've been working on that <laughs> yeah. so i'm like i'm like okay i
2: just want to talk
3: about it yeah and then i'm like okay now i want to hear what you have to say about it absolutely
0: um one one way for me that i find i think this is a very generic one but um sort of sort of bouncing off what you said, Kieran, um, even aside from listening, it turns out that um, almost everyone's going through something always um, at, at some level. And so um, one habit that I try to make, um, and it, I just find myself doing this sometimes so it works out well, is I I, I I love my friends, right? And so I think about my friends all the time. And then I think about some positive quality that I enjoy about my this friend. And as I think about those things, the, the step that is having compassion is in five sentences. You write that down and you send it in a text message and the responses that you get are really amazing from just shooting out one text a week to somebody that you happen to think of and you say, hey, I happen to be thinking of you and I really appreciate X quality about you. I'm so thankful that you're in my life and that you do blah, 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 you know, and, and the the impact that that can have on people is profound. And in some sense, that is exactly what you're doing is you're having compassion and pity on a situation that you don't even know about because that's the truth of the matter is that often it's not that we wouldn't help it's that we don't know there's even something to be helped or there is no way to help they just need a little bit of compassion on them next in that list um and and it starts by the way you got to dwell on positive qualities about people right if you're not thinking about positive qualities of people that's a really helpful place to start. Um, Kindness. The word kindness is um, derived from a root which means useful, profitable, well fit for use. So what is really needed? So this has the flavor of meeting a real need for someone which does something and doing something good for them. So if compassion is sort of the, I really felt that, kindness is going out of your way to you know, take that next step, and you say you make that judgment call. Hey, I could actually do something for them; they'd be open to me doing something for them. Boom! I'm gonna step in and meet that need. So, um, what is one instance in which you feel like someone really came to you and and met a need that you had? That not only did they see that need, they felt that <laughs> feel felt found. Right? Um, they had that felt need that you that you have, and then they they took a little bit of a, a leap and and just did something some little thing that they went out of their way um, to do. What are some examples of you've been in a spot and somebody did something? Um, I know that's a fuzzy line, but some, somebody provided something for you.
3: Um, it was a Christmas, I think it was 2019.
4: Um, and I was just kind of up in my room by myself, kind of lonely, and all of a sudden the doorbell rings and Danny's here with a very heartfelt poem that I still have to this day. It's sitting in my box at home because the frame broke. Um, (laughs) But I remember reading it and it was a very touching thing and it made me feel like I was valued.
0: Exactly. Absolutely. What are some practical ways in which we could do this for people, for people, just some some way that you can Take a moment and do something kind. What is something that you make a habit of, even if you're not super conscious of it? Something you've just built into your life as a way to be kind.
4: Um, making sure to tell your family that they're appreciated. That's a big
0: one. That's a really big one.
4: Uh, Say usually uh, maybe yourself available like, like I know um, I've, had, I've, I've seen a lot of people where they usually when they're when they're going through a lot of trouble and they say well, like, they sit say all they really need you just like just to get like some things off their place so they can deal with certain issues so it's like either offer to Offer to help install their fr their new fridge or provide them a meal so yeah. they don't have to worry about cooking or something along those lines.
0: Yeah, this is this is one area that I think it's easy to fall short in. Is it's the it's those daily chore type things that people could use a hand with once in a while. Like a nice words great, but then you're like, so I still have this list of things that I have to go do. <laughs> and that was that was really sweet, but I I need a little bit of help. Yeah, got?
5: Um, I'm just gonna give like kind of an example of this. One thing I'm sometimes involved with you for doing it, but um, mm-hmm. some of you know Valetta. Oh, okay. Um she's an older woman. She's like ninety. She goes to my church. Um Sam worked with her husband before he passed right. away. And so now she's a widow. and um, like there's some things that she can't do, like putting salt in her water softener and things like that that are just a little too much for a small, fragile old woman to <laughs> do by herself. And so, um, like occasionally, You know, we, both of us, we're just Sam. we'll go over and change out her air filter and put salt in her water softener and just, like, visit with her a little bit and stuff like that. And I think one important distinction, too, is, like, people are really good about, like, the first time that something goes wrong or, like, you hear about bad news, it's like, let me know if you need anything. And I feel like sometimes it's really vague and people don't always know what they need, but Mm -hmm. it's kind of the, you know, if you're constantly offering or like give them ideas, you know, do you want me to bring you a meal this week? Do you want, you know, just like actually make yourself available instead of, because they have a bajillion people who are like, let me know if you need something. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, well, who do you reach out to? What do you do? It just kind of still leaves them in the same spot that they were already in. Um, But like actually meeting needs usually happens when you, Directly offer to meet a specific need, mm-hmm. and people will take you up on it. It's um,
0: very hard to come up with something on the spot.
5: It is, yeah. But you know, if you like, if you think of something, offer, and the worst that they're going to do is say, "No, I don't need that." Mm-hmm. No harm yeah. done, you know.
0: Yeah, I was um, I was driving in my subdivision. There's a guy who likes to sit. Um, well, I've seen him a couple times, and I, I was wondering why does he sit out there? He's an old guy. Has like one of those walkers like, that you park and sit on, and uh, I was like, you know, I bet he just goes out there to see a little action in life, you know, right, just see something moving instead of his house, and I was like, you know, it'd be it'd be really good if somebody just, like, stopped and talked to him for a little bit as I drive by, and um, and so I, I had a little bit less school, when I was listening to Joanna's 80s playlist that's been going around, and I was like, you know what, I don't have anything going on, why don't I go talk to him, and so I, I was like, okay, put it in park and drove back there, and I just went up to him and said hi. <laughs> well, actually, hi, my name's Sam. <laughs> I was like yelling in his ear. But, um, you know, and so I just got his name and um, talked to him for a minute. And we didn't talk about anything meaningful, but um, he was wearing a Purdue hat. And I even said, I like your hat, even though I'm not, not a big fan of Purdue. But he needed to hear that I liked his hat, right? And so I said, I like your hat um, because I liked it for Otis, not for Purdue. And, um, and he said, Thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, you know, it's those sort of things. And I, clearly I felt like that was, it was meaningful, right? And, and there's, uh, how many of you have heard the song, at least, Give Me Your Eyes for Just One Second, right? That, that sort of thing. Or if you were in Fasantos, putting on the glasses, the glasses guy for uh, just a second. That's all it takes. And you'll start seeing people who are lonely and hurting. And that's very difficult to do. I do a horrible job of it in my academic life with students around me.
3: consistently, so if you do something for somebody like somebody's going through grief, it doesn't end after the first month or two. Yeah. And if, I'm not saying you have to invest your whole life in this person, but if you're going to go give kindness to them, I'm not saying not give kindness, I'm up the middle fetish, <laughs> but be consistent with that. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people with chronic illnesses, they get help for the first couple months of their diagnosis and then Everybody assumes that you've handled it or it's better, but it doesn't and so it's really nice when somebody comes back um, Or you can go back to somebody and be like all right, you still have this need. What can I do to help? And a lot of times, not a lot of people follow up and so that's really important to follow up and Absolute. Make sure they keep getting that
0: Absolutely um, Another easy one uh, especially for the guys is you see broken cars on the side of the road all the time like literally all the time and uh sometimes i'll just stop and offer to help if there's any way that i can help and if you know anything about me you know that i'm going to be absolutely no help (laughs) in fixing the car right like absolutely no help but i have pushed plenty of cars off the road because i can do that i've offered a phone because uh NRA member, old guy, forgot his AAA card and didn't have anyone to call, so we got the cops there, and you know, got a tri- you know stuff like that. You, there's things that you can do, and other just make them felt appreciated, if nothing else. All right, make that call, buy the meal, stop and have the conversation, push the car out of the intersection, whatever it is. Have an eye for the circumstances that you're around in. Humility not a virtue that the Greeks appreciated, This, if I recall correctly. Um, there wasn't even a word for it. Paul did some finagling here to put a word in. Basically, it means humility. They thought it was weakness, right? Not a praiseworthy thing at all. Um, it is basically uh, not having an overinflated view of yourself. Um, it is like the saying, not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, which was said by? See Lewis. Incorrect. My pain. It, So I put Lewis, I just... Facto here, it is, uh, the Lewis Foundation says it's a misquote, FCS Lewis, and it first appeared in Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Church book in 2002. But anyways, um, so, go to Numbers chapter 12 with me real quick. This is where I wanna go for an illustration of humility, um, and then I'll give you guys an opportunity to, um, I don't even know where Numbers is. Um, so Numbers chapter 12, um, this is an amazing story, and this is the first one that I thought of when I thought of humility. Um, Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman which he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. So, boom. Stop right there. They're mad at him. Why? Because of basically an interracial marriage of some sort. It's an ethnic tension here, and they and they said, "Has the Lord indeed?" "'spoken only through Moses? "'Has he not spoken through us also?' "'And the Lord heard it. "'Now the man Moses was very meek or very humble, "'more than all that were on the face of the earth. "'And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, "'Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting.' "'And the three of them came out, "'and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud "'and stood at the entrance of the tent, "'called Aaron and Miriam, "'and they both came forward, and he said, "'Hear my words. "'If there is a prophet among you, "'I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. "'I speak with him in a dream.' Not so with my servant, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And he departed. So, this is you know they're criticizing his wife, right? This is kind of personal. And you know what Moses? If if you were Moses, most of us would have been like, I'm sorry. Did you? get tablets and see the back of god or did you like throw a rod down maybe you part like maybe you're the reason that we're across this pond of a red sea you know you know but we don't hear that right moses is just like well he i mean later whenever the lord inspired him to write this just so he was chill humble it doesn't even he didn't say anything um But then the Lord was obviously very angry, and the Lord vindicated in that matter. And so when I thought of humility, I thought, what an amazing illustration of humility, because um, we would immediately tend to go out and flaunt how big and bad we are, if we are, you know, your resume, your spiritual credentials of why you should be listened to over everyone else, right? And Moses didn't do that. He just, okay. Thank you. What are some ways that you've experienced humility, and what are some ways to demonstrate humility? This might be a tricky question. Let's go with the experienced or seen humility in somebody first. Who is somebody that you see humility in, and what are you you taking away from that when you see humility in somebody? You all are so humble.
2: Um, I've seen it a lot in my brother Randy specifically. Um, when he found a woman to pursue. He <laughs> was a very very humble when it came to him because she was a very talkative girl um, as compared to his very reserved self. Um, he, and he and he, while that was natural for him to be more quiet, but he was always humble because he always thought of her. Even on the days when like she was busy and the days when she was occupied, he always thought of her and. Like, Many times we would take, and just because I wanted to spend time with him, I would go with him and he would just drive the 30 minutes or whatever it was to work and just leave little things on her car, (laughs) just smallest little things and it it wasn't big, it wasn't trying to be showy, very humble and just did things like that to help her have a better day, like when he knew she had a bad day, he would just go the extra mile and help her out. I've tried to adopt that in some ways.
0: Okay. Any other things that you've seen? You just wow, they're strike you as humble, and obviously they aren't like flaunting. It's just the way they they exist.
4: I'd say. I'd say. The best example I can think of off the top of my head would be, uh, my. Great uncle, uncle Daryl, mm-hmm. I'm not. He's, i say he's a good. He's, he's just one of those guys, never, there's patience of Job, that guy. <laughs> just. Which is surprising seeing as though he has my cousin Harmony, and <laughs> he has our cousin Harmony as a granddaughter.
1: Harmony is not Harmony. <laughs>
4: no, no, she is not. But she, but uh, yeah usually he doesn't he's a very subdued guy he'll listen to you he'll he'll offer you help he won't he'll let you he'll let you talk he does not try to take he doesn't try to take the room he doesn't try to that's uh, important but he's definitely one of those people who puts everything before him and again this the same thing can be said about his his wife our aunt rosie she so, I'm done talking. No, sorry. <laughs> I'm done ahead. talking, don't worry, sorry.
5: You're fine. Um, one person, a lot of you know him, but uh, Mike Bandy came to my mind, um, just in the way that it's like, it doesn't matter who you are, everyone feels like they're important mm-hmm. when they're talking to Mike. And it's, it's kind of that, you know, like he's an intent listener and um, is just able to like prioritize the person that is in front of him. And I think that's a very—it can be a very difficult quality. And I think, like I've noticed that, the more that you're in leadership and you have, you know, so many things that have to get done, and you know, you're on a timeline and you have a lot of, like, your priorities are stretched in multiple directions. But, but like with him, none of that matters if you're in a conversation with Mike because that's the most important thing going on right then. And um, so it's kind of that, like. It's humility of self, but also just in the sense of elevating the person that, that you're with and, and making much of them and not yourself.
1: Um, I think of my mom. So my mom is one of those people where she doesn't know a stranger. Like if a stranger comes, like she will go up and talk to strangers and like whatever they need, she will do anything um, for that person. Like if they need a ride or like even if she doesn't have any, Very little money, Mm -hmm. like she will give it to them. Like whatever someone needs, um, like she puts them first above herself. Like it doesn't matter if they talk to her for hours, she will stay there the whole entire time until they're done.
0: Meekness, gentleness. Um, This is, you've heard this probably described in terms of if you've been to any woman's conference ever or read any femininity book ever. i have it, <laughs> uh, it actually is insightful sometimes to see what the literature out there is. Meekness jumps on this really just means uh, power, uh, this is not what you'd typically think of, but it's actually restrained power or power under control like um, some of the illustrations that have given are um, a horse that is bridled in. Matthew 5, 5, uh, Psalm thirty seven eleven. This one is very closely tied with humility.
4: Blessed are the meek, for they will
0: inherit the earth. Psalm 37. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Um, in some ways, this is the same as humility, right? We're talking about ways that people are restraining themselves. And so, for sake of time, I'm going to skip that one. 1 Peter 3.15. Um, this is one illustration that I wanted to bring out scripturally of uh, a way that we should be meek and I think would be helpful to see
1: put in your hearts honor
3: christ the lord is holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect
0: so there's a there's a sincere sensation in which um i think especially guys why is it always guys um we want to be right right um you know you have you 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 see somebody that's clearly wrong and and they, you're, you're needing to give a defense of your faith, right? And you're like, "Ooh, Jehovah's Witness, here we go, right? Um, but but even, even when somebody is completely and utterly wrong and you're giving a defense for your faith, you're supposed to do it with power under control, not power that's ready to bury somebody, right? Like, you ever walk into an argument and you've just read or seen how somebody's articulated their point and you're like, That guy behind the tree in the meme, you know? Right, exactly. (laughs) Like you're like, this is so flawed, I'm just gonna I'm gonna end this whole man's career. Right. Yeah. And that's not the that's not the attitude that we should go into these things with, right? It's supposed to be that's attempting to win, not attempting to get somewhere productive. You might have all you might be completely right and have all of the skill set to obliterate their argument, and yet we're supposed to mediate that power in such a way that we respond only as to what's appropriate and helpful for them to come to the truth, right? Burying somebody generally doesn't help them actually come to the faith, or in any other circumstance in life where you have the power to, or the, the power or the right, as meekness definition would have it, the power or the right to do something, but you restrain for their good. That is what it means to be meek. Patience. This is being long tempered, waiting a sufficient time before expressing anger and not laying into someone out of heart in, uh, in a harsh reaction. Um, what is one time that you have experienced or seen? And we're going to, uh, for the sake of time, we're going to keep it to one. Um, one time that you've seen patients and one practical way in which you can demonstrate better patience. One time you've seen patients. Oh, with my mom, sometimes I know,
1: like, she gets has busy days herself, but then she still comes home and, like, helps us out, especially with my dad, this, with this scenario, he needs some help right now. Yeah. Um, But not always, he doesn't always acknowledge that he needs help, so I've just noticed a lot of patience on my mom's part to, like, meet his needs before he even asks, or even if he asks in that rude way, she still does it, and she doesn't do it with, like, a snarky attitude. She'll do it with kindness and love and with patience.
0: One practical way we can be more like that.
4: The way James puts it, and I think it's James, but sit
0: down, shut up, and listen. <laughs> yeah, just don't always be quick to talk. Isn't it amazing that listening has come up in each and every one of these virtues? By the way, listening is usually very helpful. Um, for me, one of one of the more, more expedient ways you know the the long-tempered aspect usually comes in not reacting um, and and one of the lessons I learned very on in terms of leadership is there was some there was some drama that um, I was I felt I didn't do anything wrong but um, you know there were sides of course right and pe- this person I had uh, I had offended in some way and so people from their side came up to me telling me what I should do and how I was wrong and you know I re- you know how, how I should live my life okay. And um, what, I, what I learned to do there, and it's been one of the most successful techniques that I've had since, is when somebody comes to you with a whole like, you know, you're just like, wow, that was 30 minutes long of critique, thank you, um, is just saying, okay, thank you very much, I appreciate that. And then you just, and that's it. And that's that awkward silence where they were expecting you to respond and defend yourself, but you feel that you're completely innocent and vindicated in the situation, so you don't, because that's what they're waiting for is just to like spike off of you, you responding, and you don't. And it usually diffuses the situation. You recognize criticism is invalid. And boom, the situation is chilled. And in some ways you actually win in those situations because usually your opponent there is the one who walks away in some measure of, ooh, this is awkward, I need to get away now. And you're just there like, yes, thank you. I appreciate you bringing that. And they're very surprised to hear that response a great way to show patience even when you disagree with somebody's feedback is that okay cool i appreciate that input um okay very very good that ends verse 12 um verse 13 bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the lord has forgiven you so also you must forgive this is fantastic stuff right these five virtues um, but now, even within Quinonia, how often do we perfectly execute these five virtues all the time to the max? I can give you zero times that that has ever happened in the history of this group. And Paul recognizes that, right? Great. We want to live perfectly, but what happens when we don't, and they don't go perfectly? Well, there are two levels to this. Um, how many of you have ever met even someone within this group that you just don't click with? There's not, they didn't do anything wrong to you, but they're just flatly, they just kind of annoy you. Just fundamentally for who they are, they annoy you, right? You know somebody like that, okay? Now we have, um, if you want to sort of modernize a translation here, basically this word means put up with. So put up with person. Um, so when you're when you're annoyed with somebody, they've not done anything wrong to you, put up with it. Deal with it. And that's what Paul's like. They just annoy you, right? Bear with it. Um, it's really practical here. Um, somebody annoys us or you really just don't want to talk to you, what do you do? You bury yourself in your phone, look down, you're like, i got to have something on here. Or you see them start to walk towards you and you slowly rotate around the room in an opposite way, looking like you're on your way somewhere, very busy and important, doing a... Thing that needs done now, right? And, and you have that sensation of like, I'm running, I'm not running, I'm definitely running. When you feel that, what, I, what a great way to do is to lean into that and to go and talk to them on purpose because you know that you're running away. Often it takes a little bit of overcorrecting to correct for these sensations of running away. And with that, do you, let's say it's mutual, you know, you both just annoy the snot out of each other. Take a group our size, okay? Could you get away with never speaking to each other? Probably, functionally, yes. But I hope, I hope I'm not the only one that can sense this. You can tell, even if people aren't angry, they just really don't enjoy each other. You can sense that, and that is disunity in some degree, right? You don't have to be best friends, but if you're not really even willing to talk to them, then you need to bear with them, put up with it, and, and talk to them. Now, the second level to this, um, is um, is that at some point you're going to get hurt, somebody's going to do something wrong, um, and you will have a legitimate uh, cause for a complaint, as some translations put it, a cause for complaint. And what are you supposed to do in those situations? That's sort of the second level, is maybe first they haven't done anything wrong, you just dislike them. Secondly, they've done something wrong to you, and now you really dislike them. What are you supposed to do then? You're supposed to forgive, but... Let me ask you this, forgive, uh, this word's cool, it just basically means, um, it's the idea of giving, it's free favor that is undeserved, right? It's basically grace, it's pretty synonymous with grace. And when we think of, you pardon them, if you will, and so when we think of God's forgiveness, God's grace, God's pardoning to us, um, let me ask you this, does God let you up easy, if you will, when you fail? What, is your, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Incredibly so.
0: Incredibly so, right? And what? Well, he said he lets you up. He doesn't really let you. He picks you up. There's a the difference. Even, right, that's, that's mm. even stronger. But does, does God hold it over your head for like the next two and a half years, that one time that you did that thing, that you, you asked for forgiveness 72 times already? And does, is, is he keeping reminding you of that and holding that over your head? No, absolutely not. He would, I've said this before, what you can't forget, God can't remember. And, yeah. and what God can't, he can't remember it, right? It's, uh, he cannot bring them to remember. That's out, of, that's out of the Psalms, I believe. And how often do we, quote unquote, forgive somebody, but we, but we really do not do the forget. Part of it, and I'm not. And I understand that in certain certain specific situations with abuse and such, there is some practical measure that needs to be taken in terms of not putting yourself in situations of harm again. But I'm saying in just general, overall, normal day-to-day interactions, it is it is prudent to. Um, to imitate god right that's exactly what we're doing here is imitating god in that not only do you pardon but that you also set it out of mind in terms of the relationship you don't bring that stuff into the relationship anymore i don't know who this is for here tonight but i want to challenge you by saying that forgiveness without forgetfulness is not really much of forgiveness at all that is not to say again that if you've been in some sort of situation that it, it's you can't make take some prudent steps, but there is an element of that you need to remove it from the relationship and not keep bringing it in, and guilt tripping. You, you can't you can't keep a list, right? There's if you keep a list of all the ways in which, as we will talk about here in a few weeks, that your spouse has done you wrong, eventually that list is going to get pretty long, and when you have that one tipping point in an argument, you're going to break out that list and. You're gonna be like, I thought you forgave, forgave me of all of these things, and then it'll suddenly become apparent that you never let them go. You just moved on. And so, these are some things that we're gonna come back to this, but um, you, you can't, you can't have all of these social things down here that you want without all these qualities. Um, why should we forgive, by the way? Because we have been forgiven so very much, so very much. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and skip this reading for sake of time, but if you want a good reading, Matthew 18, 21 through 35, Matthew 18, 21 through 35. That is the parable of the, uh, the servant who's been forgiven a little, or a lot, excuse me, and then goes and prosecutes the one who has, um, who has, been, who has, who has just a small debt. And, and so often in the Gospels, we hear that our forgiveness and our, that relationship with God is connected to how we're forgiving people around us. That's the point of that parable. So what is the common final thread throughout all of these virtues? Right here in verse 14. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love, agape, preferring them over you and their highest good over, over your own self. Um, I think of 1 Corinthians 13 where it says that though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Yes. There is no point to any of it. You can do all these amazing things, but if you don't love these people, then it's pointless. And so we can feel sorry and compassionate for someone who's struggling. We can do something kind for them. We can not brag about it in, in our humility, and we can refrain from... Doing, you know, wrong to them when we have the power or right to do so, we can, you know, when they're being irritated, irritating, we can be patient. We can put up with folks. We can even forgive and forget in some capacity. But if you aren't doing this because you have a desire for intimate relationship with them and their absolute best, then it doesn't mean anything at all. The point, the point of each and every, if you've, if I've lost you somewhere in here, now's a great time to come back. The point in each and every one of these virtues is so that you can have intimate relationships right these virtues are not the end in and of themselves it's it doesn't in some sense it doesn't even matter at all it does but the point is intimate relationship look at the following words after love which binds everything together in perfect harmony perfect harmony perfect unity the word telos right we've been through this enough times uh, telos dai uh, end game. It's the consummation, the final purpose. What is the final purpose? The end game is unity, intimacy, oneness of mind, oneness of heart. When we come to the marriage section, parenting section, whatever, here in a few weeks, um, I've decided that I'm going to entitle that little sub-series The Intimate Marriage. You know why? Because that is the entire point. That's what I want you to take away from the discussion on marriage, is that all of all of these virtues that we have just said philosophy term here, are necessary but not sufficient for having a good relationship with somebody. Necessary, they're essential, but they're not sufficient for a good relationship. It's
3: like Pavlo's hierarchy. You need, you need the base ones, but that doesn't mean you can ignore the
0: top ones. Absolutely. You have to have these virtues in order to be successful in your interpersonal relationships. But if you aren't putting this capstone on the pyramid of these things of love that is seeking intimate relationship, then it's it's not gonna be any good. Um, I am afraid that sometimes you guys miss the point of the whole thing because we focus so hard on being virtuous and, oh, I'm gonna be so patient today, I'm gonna be this and this and this, when the final point is that we are to be intimate, to be vulnerable, to be exposed, to be one, to be united together. The perfect harmony is what all of these virtues are leading to. Um, I was at uh, the party last night uh, that Nathan had and I asked a few folks about uh, theories of motor control and biomechanics. Um, and I, how many, I'm, I'm curious, besides my OT colleagues here, um, how many of you have heard of part practice versus whole practice and that theory of motor learning and biomechanics when you're approaching a task? Part practice, whole practice? Anyone?
4: I've heard of yeah. it. Okay, this is know.
0: kind of a Specific thing to my field I suppose um, what this means is that let's take sit to stand for instance you want to get up out of your chair you have to feet on the floor shoulder-width apart lean forward nose over toes you have hip extension quad activation and then postural support or postural control once you're standing a standing balance right all of these elements are parts to a successful task think about this in sports when I coach goalkeeping I didn't always just take shots on my goalkeepers I would break down pinky slide down to the ground slide out It's all part practice, right? And so you can have two two places that you go wrong. Number one, you can just practice whole practice. You can always just do the task and then wonder why I keep doing the same thing over and over again, and I've not improved in the constituent elements, right? You're like, I'm just doing the same thing. Or you can practice the parts of goalkeeping or the parts of a sit to stand transfer so intimately, but it never actually transfers to real skill, transference because you've never actually done the thing. You've never actually practiced the thing. And it's the same in relationships. If you just say, I want to have an intimate marriage or a good marriage or good parenting. I wanna have that. I'm gonna have a good marriage today. I wanna have a good marriage today. And you're gonna manifest it into existence by speaking it. It's never gonna happen because you're only focusing on the whole. But if you only focus on the part, which is, you know, uh, compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and bearing with and forgiving. If you only focus on the parts, but you never think I have to expose myself, make myself available and intimate and one and united with this person, and actually take my mask off and and really show who I am. If you never actually show that, then you can be the most patient, compassionate, kind person. But if you're keeping that wall up constantly. Then you've never really accomplished the telos, the end game of all of these virtues, which is intimate relationship. <laughs> and, and so the point, the point is to combine whole and part practice, whole and part practice. You have to practice these virtues, but you have to remember the context is that we're actually striving toward an end goal of intimate relationship. Ah, yes. So Let's see here. Um, in closing, then, we must master each of these qualities. We must master each of these qualities: compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with annoyances, um, forgiveness. Um, but as we work on these more specific and a little bit finer points, don't forget why you're working on them, right? So when we come to this marriage ser- sequence here, I'm I'm going to keep the I'm going to assume these things almost as prerequisites, right? Like duh you're supposed to be forgiving and you know all this right but it's it's essential before we can get into the um, into the higher level domains of intimacy and fellowship and communication and you want all of these things up here but if you're not willing to have these things down here you'll never be successful at communicating and listening if you're not willing to have these virtues so as you work on these qualities you're setting yourself up for success but Let's say that you have, um, let's say that you've opened up to someone, you've been intimate with someone in some capacity, friendship, relationship, whatever, um, before, and you've gotten hurt. Guess what you never, the, the part that you never want to do again is open up and be vulnerable and be intimate because last time you did that, it hurt, right? And most often when we get hurt, it's in context of relationships and friendships that weren't Premise on these virtues, these seven things, right? If we talk ourselves into opening up to people that have never once demonstrated on a consistent basis that they have these characteristics down, and then we're surprised when we open up and we get hurt, and then we blame opening up as if it's the problem. But the real problem is that yourself and the person, the other person involved, didn't have a mastery of these virtues, and then you got hurt. And so what I want to encourage you with is that um, as, you, as you build up these virtues, if you've been hurt in the past, and I'm saying these words like intimate and open up and take off your mask, and that's really terrifying for you, that perhaps the, the solution is not to run away from intimacy, but to set a better foundation so that when you do open up and you are vulnerable, that things will go better next time. Um, and, and of course, right, like Paul even recognizes, you can have these virtues and things aren't gonna go perfectly because we're not perfect. But it's going to be a lot better and the recovery from issues is going to be a lot healthier and a lot less painful and a lot less insulting um, than when, than if you didn't have these fundamental virtues to begin with. So as we live out these virtues, I want you to focus on learning what it means to be intimate with folks, um, intimate communion with, with God, and then reflecting that into our human relationships around us. So. Would someone be willing to close us in prayer tonight, um, both in themes of the virtues and that we've talked about, and in intimacy? Anyone want to do that for us?
3: build up each other with these virtues and um, when somebody stumbles just to pick them up just like God would, with no judgment and mm-hmm. um, no condemnation. Um, I pray for everyone going home. Just keep everyone safe and I thank you for the lesson and forgiveness and the Lord to speak. Amen. Amen.
4: Mm-hmm. Thank you.